Welcome to the Richard Blackby Leadership Podcast, helping people take their leadership to the next level. Brought to you by Blackby Ministries International. Richard, we're probably doing one of your favorite segments uh, on the podcast yeah. today, and that's looking at biographies of um, old dead leaders. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Uh, is there anything better than old and dead? No, no. It's, uh, <laughs> hard, hard to beat that. Yeah. Uh, so today uh, on the podcast, we're looking at uh, the life of C.H. Spurgeon. Yeah. And uh, we, we do these periodically as well as the uh, book reviews, but uh, it's been a minute since we've done done a biography, and um, I guess just right away, what is it about, uh, about Spurgeon that ha- has inspired so many, especially in ministry? You, you can't turn around without someone referencing Spurgeon. Yeah. If you've... You know, and Sam, we've done several uh, biographies on uh, uh, business leaders yeah. and, mil- and uh, political leaders and so on, uh, military leaders. Uh, Spurgeon, of course, is a Baptist pastor that uh, pastored in the late part of the, 19, uh, the, the 19th century uh, in London. And uh, he is, uh, I, certainly for Baptists, perhaps the most famous Baptist preacher, yeah. um, arguably the most gifted preacher that Baptist produced. Uh, and, uh, uh, and, and it's interesting because you can, uh, you can go into a lot of, uh, Baptist pastors offices, even to this day. And the, the number one picture you're going to see up there besides their own family, uh, is Spurgeon. Hmm. Uh, you, you, his arguably you'll see more pictures of Spurgeon in Baptist preachers offices than you'll see of Jesus. Uh, yeah. But he has become just a partly because we know what Spurgeon looked like. Yeah, we actually can. We don't know what Jesus. I grew up in Sunday school with a picture vividly in my mind. Here. Oh yeah. But, uh, several things just about Spurgeon as far as his accomplishments. He became a pastor of a very renowned uh, Baptist church when he was only 19 years old, and uh, he never. Uh, I mean, that's incredible. Just out of the gate, like yeah, at 19, 19 you're pastoring uh, a church. He's not even married yet, um, and he's pastoring a church that has been led by some of the most famous uh, people in that denomination over the years before. Uh, he stays there 37 years. He has uh, over 14,000 people join his church wow. in that time. Uh, actually, it's interesting. He had far more than that that uh, visited his church, would come in here and preach, but uh, they had fairly high standards of what they expected of church members and uh, serious Christians. And so a lot of people would come here and preach that weren't necessarily willing to be quite as serious as they were expected to be if hmm. he joined. Uh, but there's several things that kind of are fascinating about Spurgeon. One is that for years and years, uh, his Sunday morning sermons were published in the local a paper there in London, mm. uh, year after year after year. And those uh, sermons were sent overseas in America in New York city, even secular papers, uh, every week or publishing his sermons. Uh, but by, it says, uh, until, until actually 19, he dies just before 1800 or so or 1900. But, uh, all the way up until 1917, his sermons were still being published every week. New sermons that hadn't been published before. There were over two, uh, well, they say altogether about 3,800 of his sermons were published in wow. papers around the world. 
in fact, between his books that often came out of his sermons and then his copies of his sermons that uh, were published, that uh, there were over 300 million copies of his sermons and books printed. Uh, and so few ministers, uh, especially when you think back before the age of the internet and so on, yeah. to have 300 million of your books and your articles and things out there for public distribution truly is phenomenal. Uh, and the interesting thing about his church, most people would say that uh, he built the first evangelical megachurch. Uh, his church in uh, London, when they built their new auditorium, could seat close to about 6,000 people. Wow. And, uh, and regularly the church was full. In fact, they regularly had to send people away. Uh, and, and what he's most famous for is that you basically had to get a ticket to get into his auditorium. The hmm. way that they funded themselves is they had about three, you could, there was about 3,000 tickets that, that if you were basically a church member, uh, you could pay for these uh, tickets. And that what that meant was that you got to get into the auditorium early. You got to get guaranteed seating, basically. Not necessarily wow. a guarantee that, okay, I'm in pew G12, but... <laughs> yeah. But it was, okay, the, the seat's 6,000, we're letting 3,000 in 15 minutes before everybody else. Uh, and then after the 3,000 went in, uh, they'd give out upwards of another 3,000 tickets. And when those were gone, it, you'd have to pay for those tickets. It just let them know that when the tickets were gone, so were the seats. And so if you didn't have a ticket that Sunday, you just went away without getting to go to church. And wow. uh, I think for most pastors today, to think about people actually having to stand in line so they can get a ticket to hear you preach is uh, something that most ministers could only dream of. Right. Uh, and yet he had the, the largest congregation, evangelical congregation in all of London, which would have been the perhaps the most influential, biggest city in the world at the time. Yeah. And yet, um, uh, so, so he, he is pastoring the largest evangelical church in the world the first, if you want to call it a mega church. And so he does that, um, uh, is a renowned, uh, preacher, author, brilliant man. And so for, for many, and, and, and the other thing I guess you might just say is he starts his own Bible college. He starts his own orphanage, starts a number of different, uh, uh, missions agencies. His church plants a bunch of churches. Uh, they support missionaries. Uh, he's very, very involved in many different ways uh, in impacting society for Christ. And so in his day, it's hard to imagine a person of greater influence for the kingdom of God than yeah. him. And as a result, even uh, over a century after his death, uh, people still look to him as a role model of what an effective ministry and what an effective church looks like. Absolutely. I think he's he's usually mentioned in the same breath as the Apostle Paul in the in a lot of Baptist circles, I think. So Yeah. Would, I mean, well, there was John the Baptist was one of the early Baptist leaders. Yeah. After that yeah. you've got the Virgin. So <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so with all of that, um what in his life did he have to overcome? What were his perhaps shortcomings? What were the difficulties that he had to overcome in order you know, we see the if you want to call it the glitz and the glamour and, and his accomplishments. Uh, but what about his life did he have to 
to overcome. Yeah, I think, Sam, we've seen that uh, even the greatest leaders, it's, it's never just a perfect life. Yeah. It's not It's not all accomplishment. Yeah, it's not that they just have a whole list of strengths and no weaknesses. Uh, and I think that's what intrigues me about biographies is you, you, what you basically ask is, so what kind of shortcomings and handicaps and weaknesses did this person have to overcome? You know, it, it would have been enough just to overcome their weaknesses to be an ordinary person. Right. But to overcome these weaknesses to become an extraordinary person really is uh, impressive. So Spurgeon, a number of things are interesting about him. He actually, in his family, there were uh, 17 children uh, born altogether. Nine of them died in infancy. And and so there's, you know, historians have all these kind of boring speculations. But, you know, when you think about it, uh, so there's 17 kids born. Uh, over half of them die in infancy. Spurgeon is one of the survivors. He's one of the eight that survives infancy. But that doesn't, you know, you always wonder, what would those other people have been, What you know, yeah. eight or nine siblings, what if they had grown to adulthood? And what, what might they have contributed? Uh, we'll never know. Uh, does God sometimes, I think, just providentially look out for people that he particularly has a, a unique calling and, and ministry for. Well, we don't know. That's in the mind of God. But but he survives that. He uh, and he, he went to college, but he never had seminary training. And again, you think the greatest preacher of the age, uh, an author of writing multiple uh, books, and he never even went to seminary, never even had theological training. Uh, an interesting story about Spurgeon he felt that as a, a minister, he should have seminary training. And so he uh, actually made an appointment to talk to the president of the Baptist seminary at that, that time. And they were going to meet at a person's home. Uh, this person had kind of a stately home and uh, Spurgeon uh, arrived at the home early. Spurgeon was kind of, uh, he's had a, made a, a religion out of punctuality. And so he typically got there early. Uh, There's a, a young girl that was uh, sort of the, a housekeeper. She she led Spurgeon into a, a drawing room, and left him there. Well, then the the president, the person that had come to meet with Spurgeon, he arrives, and this girl, not the brightest or sharpest knife in the drawer, <laughs> she takes this man to a different room, and sets him in there. Well, Spurgeon it keeps waiting and waiting and waiting, and uh, he's never told that this person's come. Finally, after a long time, he finally. Uh, makes an inquiry to say, I've been waiting for Mr. So-and-so. Uh, has he arrived yet? And uh, to their dismay, they said, oh, we're so sorry. He, Yes, he was in a an adjoining waiting room. He waited a long time for you and finally just uh, assumed that you must have been delayed and unable to come. And so he left. <laughs> and so uh, Spurgeon ultimately took that to mean that he was not, God didn't intend for him to go to seminary. Yeah. And so he literally, they're just in adjoining rooms almost, uh, and had this uh, incompetent <laughs> housekeeper simply just alerted the, the men that they were both there. Uh, Spurgeon may well have gone to seminary. He could only wonder what kind of preacher he might have been uh, with, with some skill or some training. But not so nonetheless. Or, spends, you know, the, the opposite of that could yeah. also be true. Like, yeah. how could that have diminished his preaching? Yeah. Not again, you know, nothing against seminary, but you know, what you know, oftentimes you think about schooling and sometimes that 
maybe just puts them into a certain mold yeah. that maybe he he would not have risen to the right. great well, heights had he been thinking in he, those he terms. He ends up making his own standard right. instead of being forced into the standard of the day. And yeah. so, yeah, you never know that. But it was one of those just sort of crazy uh, little twists of history mm-hmm. uh, in his life. Uh, two things else about Spurgeon. One is he said he always felt sick before he had to preach. Now, he would preach sometimes in front of 20,000 people uh, without a microphone. And yet, uh, he said there was never a time he preached where he didn't feel sick before. Even that. later in life. Yeah. He just mm. said, uh, he said, I always felt, of course, he knew he could do it. Um, Spurgeon had a, uh, his biography, I, I, the biography I read uh, based this study on is by Lewis Drummond. It's called the Spurgeon, Prince of Preachers. I think it's a pretty, uh, pretty extensive uh, biography on Spurgeon. Yeah. But uh, and Drummond says Spurgeon was uh, he w- he was not prideful. Spur- L- Drummond suggests he may have had to work hard at not becoming prideful. Yeah. But uh, but he was also not um, uh, unusually or unduly modest either. The, Drummond says he he knew he was good. And and it, it wasn't a prideful thing; it was just an honest thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so he sort of he can set some people off uh, in some of his statements, but if you get to know him, you also realize, uh, well, he could have been far more boastful than he was. <laughs> but so he so in his candid moments, he said, uh, "Yeah, I've always was uh, felt a little bit sick before preaching." But the other thing about him that is unusual is that he, especially in later life. A struggle with depression hmm. and uh part of that was he physically he he struggled a lot he had gout uh, he had bright's disease he had a he, he was in a lot of pain in the latter part of his life really from his 40s on he began to struggle and he died in his 50s he, he didn't he died relatively young yeah uh and he ended up having to take long uh summer vacations at the riviera which sounds pretty exotic to us, but uh, basically he just went to the beach for uh, got out of the country every summer in the later part of his life because he just had to rest. He was exhausted. He, yeah. was, he preached, uh, and especially in his younger days, he was preaching probably about 12 sermons a week. Wow. Uh, and of course, his, when his sermons are being published uh, and distributed all over the world, he, he, he's... Those are 12 new sermons. 12 new sermons, yeah. yeah. Uh, 12 locations. I mean, there may have been, you know, modifications here and there, but, but basically a lot of is being published and, uh, or put into books and things. So he's, uh, th- there's a lot, yeah, a lot of pressure on him and he's yeah. running a Bible college and an orphanage and a bunch of things. And so he's a busy man. He tried to read at least six difficult books every week. Uh, six. and so he is, he didn't go to seminary. But he instead um, was self-taught and yeah. tried to read at least six heavy-duty books. Uh, he had a library of about 30,000 volumes. Um, but anyway, his depression, uh, partly I think because he just didn't feel well, but he was also quite an emotional person. His emotions were never far from the surface. And uh, there were times he would just get very discouraged, even though he's pastoring in front of thousands and seeing all these great things happening. Uh, he, he felt like Martin Luther and, uh, Abraham Lincoln and some, uh, uh, some famous leaders, uh, who confessed to struggling with, uh, this, this bout of depression. And, uh, in fact, at one point he was in really feeling depressed. He went to the country, 
uh, to a country church. He was, he, if he was in the area, he'd always go just attend church when he wasn't, when he's on vacation. <clears throat> so he goes to this church and the preacher doesn't recognize that Spurgeon has entered the building. And the preacher actually preaches one of Spurgeon's sermons because they were all in the paper. And so he yeah. just takes a sermon, preaches it almost word for word. <laughs> and, uh, and so as Spurgeon is leaving the auditorium that morning, he goes up to the preacher and thanks him for that powerful word. And of course, the preacher recognizes the, who it is, and he feels very chagrined. And he, I'm so sorry. He says, I, I should have given you credit. I just, I, he starts to make uh, excuses why he was just so busy, didn't have time to write a sermon, and he should have at least credited uh, Spurgeon with that sermon. And, and Spurgeon just sort of waves him off and says, oh, don't worry, I'm not upset at all. He says, actually... He said, listening to those words this morning that God gave me, he said, made me realize that God is using me. God is giving me insight into his word. I had lost hope that uh, I was even of use to God anymore. Wow. But he, he said, hearing my own sermon this morning <laughs> made me realize God is using, I am a servant of God and uh, I, I, it helped me. And so he thanked the man for preaching his hmm. own sermon. But uh, it, it really bewilders a lot of people when you hear of a guy like Spurgeon who knew God's word so well, who preached and knew the greatest Christian leaders of the day, who grew the biggest uh, church of the day, and yet he battles with depression. And yeah. uh, I think often that happens if you're, especially if you're a feeler, because you can, you can feel the heights of what God is doing, but you also can be brought to the depths. And, right. uh, and Spurgeon battled that the, the latter half of his life. Um, I would say he battled it successfully, but uh, it, it still is confusing to people that someone with that much success could still be second-guessing himself and sometimes wonder if he should just quit the ministry entirely. Mm. And so when you realize what he accomplished, even though he's fighting this black uh, clouds of depression, yeah. makes it all the more spectacular what uh, he was able to accomplish. Well, let's... Uh... We'll, we'll take a quick break here and dive a little bit deeper into his life and uh, what applications we can take away after the break. Join Dr. Richard Blackbeat and people from across America for the quarterly 45-minute Marketplace devotional conference call. The next meeting is on July 10th at 7.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Visit WorkforceMinistries.com for more information. Links will be in the show notes. Well, there's no doubt that uh, Spurgeon was a great leader, a great preacher, obviously used by God, because th these many years later, um, he's probably the most quoted pastor, at, at least in, in Baptist circles. So what are some of the things about him that, that make him a great leader? Uh, you know, uh, Spurgeon, for one, he, I, I like the fact he had a great sense of humor. He was always... Uh, putting a twist on things. He, he could have easily become very cynical and he had a lot of people he dealt with that at times would, uh, if you weren't laughing, you'd be crying. Uh, and so I, many, many stories about, uh, Spurgeon, how he would just sort of put a humorous, uh, spin on it. Uh, at one point he was at the train station. He was going to attend a Baptist meeting in another city and another Baptist minister was waiting, saw him and came over and joined him. He was going to the same meeting. And it was time to board the train, and the uh, the other pastor a little piously told Spurgeon, he said, well, I'm going back to third class, a uh, third class coach. I'm going to save uh, the, the Lord's money. And uh, 
Spurgeon looked at him, and instead of just taking the rebuke, he said, well, I'm going up to the first-class coach. I'm going to save the Lord's servant. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And uh, he would do things like that. At one point, someone came calling on his house and and, uh, basically demanded to see him, said, "The uh, the, the Lord's servant has come calling on you and expects to have a hearing. And uh, Spurgeon sent word back to a servant and said, well, I'm currently occupied with your Lord, and so I don't have time for a servant. <laughs> uh, and so he, he, had a, he just had an interesting way at times of, of just using humor when, uh, to, to deal with a wide array of people. At one point he came a little bit late to a deacon's meeting, which was very uncommon for him, but when he came there, the deacon a little bit miffed, uh, this was early on when they he had they, they didn't all revere him yet, but uh, the the deacon held up his held his watch out to Spurgeon, and Spurgeon not not taking the hint that uh, I, I was he was late, took the watch, examined it, and said a fine piece of machinery, although it needs a little bit of work, and uh, <laughs> just handed it back and just uh, would not take offense, uh, and so. His sense of humor was certainly uh, something I think that endeared him to a lot of people mm-hmm. and diffused a lot of what could have been a lot of conflicts, uh, yeah. tensions. Instead, uh, he just chose not to let them become a tension. Instead, it just became something that people were still uh, laughing about years later. Uh, I would say his prayer life was something that really stood out to Spurgeon. He was, uh, he was considered the greatest preacher of his day. But in fact, at one point, D.L. Moody from the United States came to London. And the first thing he wanted to do was to go to Spurgeon's uh, church and hear the great preacher preach. Afterwards, they asked uh, Moody, they said, well, was his preaching as good as you expected it to be? And uh, Moody said, it was that and more. He said, he is the finest preacher I've ever heard. But he said, but what really impressed me was his prayer. He said, when he began to pray there for his church, he said, I, it, it was as if Jesus was standing right beside him. Hmm. And uh, m- many, many people would testify to say uh, that they, they came to hear him preach. They left impressed by his prayers. Spurgeon uh, had a prayer meeting on Monday nights at his church. Uh, they, they would average around 3,000 people every week just to pray for the church. And uh, Spurgeon certainly credited a lot of his success as in the church to those faithful prayers who prayed every week that God would use that church to be a light to the nations. Uh, Spurgeon also just was a leader of people. Like he was uh, not necessarily really uh, a physically imposing person, but he exuded a lot of confidence. And, mm-hmm. uh, and, he, and he, he was a person who appreciated the, the leaders that were around him. He, he attracted leaders around him. Yeah, he uh, a lot of Baptist preachers bemoan sometimes the deacons that they have to deal with. Uh, <laughs> Spurgeon never did that. He always said he'd been just very blessed to have deacons who uh, were so supportive of him and, and they protected him. And in later years, when his health was not good, he felt guilty at times if he would spend uh, two months in the summer at the at the beach just resting and thinking and studying. And uh, one time he wrote a letter, basically ready to resign, to say, "I just you just." A church this size uh, needs a pastor that can be there year round and not be taking a couple of months off every year because of health reasons. And the the deacons basically said, "Listen, if we get you one month a year," said, "We're we're grateful to have a pastor like you uh, that can feed us when he can." 
And uh, he, he just cultivated a real sense of loyalty uh, to himself because he, he honored the people that work with him. He, he spoke into their lives. Uh, he was, as I said, he was a great student. He, 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 he didn't just read six uh, lightweight books. He would find difficult uh, books. A lot of the, the great Puritan writers, he would read uh, six books or, or so a week. And uh, I, I've seen pictures of his library. Uh, the, the remnants of his library are now at Midwestern Seminary, Baptist Seminary in uh, Kansas City, that I desperately want to go and visit at some point. <laughs> I've not had the chance to be there yet, but uh, uh, but thirty thousand volumes, uh, and uh, he was co- constantly reading. and And interestingly, uh, even though he's the greatest preacher of his day, he often did not formally put his sermon notes together until Saturday evening. Uh, but he was studying all week long. And basically what he did is he kind of preached out of the overflow. Uh, he's reading mm-hmm. and studying all week long. And at the end of the week, he'd sort of pull together his thoughts and say, well, what of all that I've, the, the Lord has taught me this week and all that I've seen in scripture this week, what is it that uh, my people need to hear? And so uh, kind of a little uh, different. You'd sort of think that Monday morning he's already outlined the basic sermon that he's going to preach and just putting, you know, fleshing it out the rest of the week. But fact is, he kind of waited till the very end. Uh, he he sort of had an aversion almost to writing out his sermons, and he certainly didn't use a manuscript, but uh, would put together some thoughts by the end of the week. Mm. And uh, I call that just ministry out of the overflow. Instead of working all week to get a sermon together, he uh, he, his heart was so full, his mind was so full of truths of God. It was almost like with all that God has shown me this week, what can I fit into one sermon on Sunday morning? Here? Yeah. And so he always had much to say. Um, he also, it was a little controversial. He, he used a lot of uh, humor in his sermons. He was a great storyteller, which in that day was sort of frowned upon in some ways. At one point yeah. he was criticized, you know, they would say, well, this, you're, you're, you're preaching about God and God's word. That's, that's not a laughing matter. Uh, and, uh, you, you shouldn't use so much humor in your sermons, uh, make light of the things of God. And Spurgeon oftentimes would take, uh, such criticism somewhat humbly, but he just said, well, if you knew how much I leave out of my sermons that I wanted to put in, he said, you'd be really impressed with how much <laughs> I hold back, he said. Uh, and so uh, oftentimes he had people criticize him in the press. People, uh, it, it's interesting, a lot of lies were told about him. Of course, the, the same kind of uh, uh, tabloid type of reporting in the papers then that we, we see now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Typically what happened, though, the papers would have all these scandalous stories about him sliding down uh, railings to the pulpit and doing all these uh, scandalous things. Instead of turning people away from the church, it, it, it increased his visitors. <laughs> yeah. Everybody wanted to come and see him, and they were all talking about him. And, uh, and so he, uh, he was careful for the most part not to try to just answer back all of his critics but to leave that to God and just make sure that his heart was full of a word from God the next time. Spurgeon also was generous to a fault. He was a very generous person, gave mm-hmm. all kinds of money away personally, was a great friend of George Mueller who ran the orphanages yeah. in Bristol, uh, would meet with him and, uh, and give to his causes. Oftentimes people, he, he, Spurgeon was basically kind of known as a soft touch. If you, 
came to him. At one point, a man came uh, and said that uh, because he of his involvement in the church, I think he may have even been a deacon at one point, he said that it, it had cost him at least 25 pounds of money uh, that... Uh, basically trying to say by me serving you here in the church, I've lost money doing that. And I feel like the church owes me. And, uh, and Spurgeon just pulled out his wallet and began to, to pay him the money. And, uh, the man said, uh, are, is this coming from the church or, and Spurgeon said, no, no, I wouldn't have the church do that. He said, I, I'll just pay you personally. I'm just sorry that, uh, serving the Lord has cost you that way. And I'd be glad to make it right. And well, Spurgeon was told later that this man had done this in two other churches and basically tried just, he was just trying to stir things up. Yeah. And he was expecting that Spurgeon would get into an argument with him or bring it before the deacon board. And, and the guy just wanted to cause trouble. Instead, Spurgeon just very generously without arguing, just uh, was, he didn't care. He took, he'd be glad to make things right. And it actually set this man into a, a tailspin of conviction and guilt at what a jerk he'd been yeah. and what a, a Saint uh, Spurgeon had been to him mm. in response. And so uh, he was very tenderhearted. I think he spent at least seven of his birthdays at the, at the orphanage. Uh, he loved the orphans, loved uh, investing in them. There's some great stories of those Spurgeon orphans, what they did later. Last story, maybe just to tell about Spurgeon, uh, he also had a Bible college. He, he, and so you can imagine if you're in a preaching class and Spurgeon's sitting there listening to you preach, how intimidating that could be. Yeah. At one point, and, and sometimes what would happen is he'd have all of his preacher boys there in the room and, and they would just give them a text and say, okay, preach on this text. Just no, no preparation, nothing. Here's your text, preach. And so one day this man gets uh, Luke 19, 1 to 10 about the story of Zacchaeus. And there's Spurgeon, the greatest preacher of the age, going to listen to your sermon. You've had no time to prepare, nothing. And so this guy gets up with knees shaking, and he says, I have a three-point sermon. He said, uh, Spurgeon was up a tree, and so am I. <laughs> he said, Spurgeon was, well, there wasn't much to uh, Zacchaeus, he said, and there's not much to me. And he said, Zacchaeus made haste to come down, and so will I. <laughs> And he made haste to come down, and that was it. But uh, wow. out of that uh, time, he Spurgeon raised up a whole host of, of preachers and people that love God's Word and modeled their ministry after mm -hmm. him. I actually had my great-grandfather um, great and his two brothers all were students under Spurgeon when really? Spurgeon was running the college. So Blackabees, there were at least three Blackabees that we know of who actually were trained under Spurgeon when he wow. was leading that college. And uh, they went out and led, pastored and did different things, mission work. But um, And so that's kind of a, a little part of our own heritage that mm. we cross paths. But uh, Spurgeon, a lot to be said about him, kind of like yeah. a Churchill. You could go on and on about uh, oh, yeah. Spurgeon. <laughs> but if you're, especially if you're a minister, You've got to read a biography on Spurgeon. It will just inspire you uh, to realize how God can use an ordinary person that is wholly dedicated, consecrated to the Lord, and to just give whatever gifts, abilities you have and say, Lord, just use me. And uh, you don't have to live long for God to do great work if you're wholly surrendered to him. Hmm. Well, we'll leave it there. Thanks for listening to the podcast. If this is something you enjoyed, review us on Apple Podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. If you have questions or comments, please email us at podcast at blackbee.org.